welcome to this edition of our Top 10 Risks series. In this series, we focus on the key disputes risks currently facing our asset management clients. My name is Adam Brown, and I'm a partner in the litigation and arbitration team here at Simmons. And today I'm joined by two colleagues from our disputes practice, Doug Robinson and Craig Gilchrist. Today, we'll be discussing the litigation risks arising from transactions in distressed markets. And we selected this topic because of the lessons that we take as litigators from market conditions in the past that had similar features and ended up with litigation uh, resulting from transactions that took place. We will try to draw out some of the lessons from those past episodes, including practical ways that the risks can be addressed and mitigated. But first, what do we mean by transactions in distressed markets? So some points of terminology. We don't just mean uh, the price of the mainstream stock market, which as you'll know, is close to all-time highs and not on that measure, therefore distressed. So what do we mean? As to transactions, we're currently seeing a high transaction volume across M&A, capital raising, whether that's uh, in the form of an IPO. We've had a, a trend towards SPACs, though that has uh, fallen away somewhat, and also for capital raising in private markets, private equity and venture capital. There's also high volume of debt financing and corporate restructuring activity. And feedback um, suggests that the market is running fairly hot with stretched valuations. What do we mean by distressed? Well, this can take several forms, but at the moment includes financial distress of some of the investee companies or assets, uh, illiquidity in those assets, and sometimes difficulty in accurately valuing those assets. Um, and when we talk about markets, what we have in mind is quite a broad perspective. So companies, real estate, asset-backed securities, you know, things like that in, in the real economy. So the theme of transactions taking place in distressed markets can involve, for example, uh, M&A in circumstances where assets are difficult to value or where the target is propped up by government support. Now, why do those conditions present a litigation risk? Where you have high transaction volumes in markets where assets are impaired or difficult to value, compliance with legal obligations gets really, really tricky. For example, uh, M&A involves extensive reps and warranties being given to the purchaser, likewise corporate restructurings with lenders, and capital raising involves investor disclosures. And that all gets much more difficult in the current circumstances. And this feeds back into litigation risk. Um, the disruption of business models in many sectors is a further factor, which means that many businesses have impaired finances. It is harder to give accurate disclosures or warranties about those businesses' um, circumstances and prospects. Likewise, uh, government support schemes are coming to the end across a number of jurisdictions. Um, and we predict that the proportion of investments that will turn out badly, not for absence of due diligence, but simply because um, there are stretched valuations in troubled companies, 
um, we predict a, a higher than average proportion of deals that may be regretted in hindsight. So that's a pretty um, a pretty toxic mix from a litigation risk standpoint. And so we wanted to draw out some of the lessons of the past to assist um, those uh, that are uh, connected to those deals at present. So with that, I introduction. I'm going to hand over to uh, Doug, who's going to take a look at why this is a particular risk for asset managers at the moment. Yes, thanks, Adam. Well, I, I think there are probably three key reasons why this is an issue at the moment for asset managers in particular. The first is that there has been generally quite a high level of acquisition activity in the sector, uh, by which I mean both the acquisition of assets or portfolios and also the acquisition of other management companies. And those kinds of transactions can, for all the reasons you've already touched upon, give rise to risks that can crystallise and litigation can follow uh, in the event that uh, the market turns after the transactions have taken place. Similarly, there are some sectors that the uh, or classes of assets that asset managers may invest in, which could be particularly exposed at the moment. A good example of that is commercial real estate, where I think everyone's anticipating some some pain in the future. Uh, and finally, I think to to draw a parallel with the financial crisis of just over ten years ago, back then in two thousand and eight, really it was the banks who were most closely connected with transactions that suffered problems and gave rise to litigation. It seems that this time round, asset managers may be a lot closer uh, to those transactions and may in some cases have taken taken on some of the roles traditionally played by banks. And what I mean by that are what we, is that on the equity side, um, PE assets under management have grown steadily uh, and there's a lot of PE-backed M&A activity taking place. Um, you know, a large proportion of, of the total, uh, I expect. And on the debt side, there's now, of course, much greater uh, direct lending and other financing um, through debt undertaken by funds and asset managers uh, in, in circumstances where formerly banks would probably have filled that role. So in the event of distress, um, it may be that you know, on, on this occasion, it's asset managers rather than banks who are more in the firing line of litigants uh, and other uh, parties disputing transactions. Thanks very much, Doug. And Craig, sort of building upon that, what lessons can be learned from the past about M&A litigation risk in particular? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Um, so yes, as you said previously, in distressed market scenarios, there's a greater chance that market conditions will change and have an effect on the target business. And in these scenarios, it's very likely that buyers will want to terminate the acquisition. And one of the ways to do that is through litigation. Now, this can be for a variety of reasons, including that there's a breach of the reps and warranties contained in the share purchase agreement, or that there has been a material adverse change in the business being acquired. Now, the breach of reps and warranties, which I think is the paradigm case in distressed markets, um, whilst the particular breach in each case will be target business specific, um, the issues that should be scrutinised carefully in each transaction may include issues such as the accuracy of historical financial information, uh, the status of key suppliers, customers and parties to material contracts, capital reserves, credit facilities and other issues to do with cash flows um, and then also other issues such as employee issues, un, uh, 
such as redundancies or complaints or whistleblowing. And then finally, IT resilience, particularly uh, during the pandemic that we've just seen, the, the importance is on the ability for employees to work remotely and particularly guard against cyber and data security risks. There are, of course, a variety of other common scenarios in M&A transactions where disputes may arise. Now, these may include scenarios such as the scope of pre-completion undertakings and regulatory approvals, or issues such as monies held in escrow, particularly where those monies are held to secure indemnities contained in the share purchase agreement. We've also seen disputes arising from earnout provisions, particularly in the asset management space, and also the interpretation of material adverse change clauses. Now, obviously, commencing proceedings in relation to these issues would be time and cost intensive. Um, and so we've also seen instances of buyers uh, where they're faced with drastically different landscapes to use these issues as a lever to reopen discussions on key terms, such as to secure a price reduction. Now, as I'm said to take some past war stories on M&A litigation risk, one of the most well-known is the HP and autonomy case. Now, this is a case where the value of the acquired company was written down substantially after the acquisition had taken place. Now, surrounding the acquisition, there were allegations of fraud, including that the directors of autonomy artificially inflated the value of the company before selling it. Also, in the AMIF context, we're currently defending allegations of misrepresenting asset valuation during portfolio sale negotiations. Uh, and we've also seen that these sorts of disputes particularly arise in an auction process as well, when there are a lot of representations being made as to the status of the business to be sold. So when making representations during the sale process, there is, of course, a heightened risk of future litigation when the assets are distressed. This is because there is a greater potential in these scenarios for bad bargains in the market. Issues that may otherwise be resolved through commercial negotiation in calmer markets are likely to be subject to litigation as well. For private funds in particular, uh, M&A is part of portfolio management, and this can be seen in the Henderson case. Now, this is uh, a relatively historic case where the claim was brought by the limited partners representing £70 billion of pension assets under management. And the claim was got, brought against the general partner and the fund manager. And Henderson in 2006 acquired 100% of Lang PLC, which was a public finance initiative construction company. After the acquisition, the value of the company fell by 70% by 2009, and the investors claimed that the acquisition exposed them unexpectedly to Lang's liabilities, such as the PFI bidding business and the company's spiralling pension deficit. Crucially, the investors alleged that the bids for Lang were made without notice and that it was not a, quote, permitted investment within the scope of the fund's investment mandate. Now, with this case, the market had hoped that the case would shed some light on the duties of investment managers towards investors and on the drafting of investment agreements, particularly in M&A transactions. However, the claim settled, um, with Henderson agreeing to pay all of the legal costs of the claimants. Finally, and as Adam mentioned earlier, there has been a growth in the market uh, and a growth in interest in SPACs. 
Um, and with these, we're particularly seeing disputes over fees payable to founders, introducers, and other deal makers. And like all with the transactions I've mentioned previously, if the value of the acquired company falls, then in distressed markets, you can expect disputes to follow. Thanks very much, Craig. And uh, turning to Doug for one final question. Um, what are the lessons of the past in terms of litigation risk for asset managers in portfolio management uh, during times of market distress? Sure. Well, I think if you look back again to the financial crisis, there's there's one case in particular which stands out as a good illustration of the risks for asset managers uh, and therefore it's very worthwhile considering uh, in the present day context and that's the UBS and KWL case and to briefly summarize what happened there um, UBS asset management had responsibility for managing a portfolio of credit names on behalf of the the claimant entity uh, and it was doing so shortly before the financial crisis hit uh, as a matter of fact the portfolio was quite concentrated in financial names, so uh, financial institutions, and in particular entities such as Icelandic banks, subprime uh, subprime lenders, and so on. Now, at all times, it remained within the uh, guidelines and mandate for the portfolio, so there was no breach. Uh, But when the crisis hit, there are, of course, many uh, defaults in the portfolio, triggering uh, a, a payment obligation. And when uh, litigation took place and the claimant um, sued UBS for negligence, the court agreed with that claim, uh, despite uh, UBS being within mandate. Um, and you can have some sympathy, I think, for UBS in those circumstances, given that nobody foresaw what happened in, in 2008, and therefore they could be forgiven for not doing so. But nevertheless, the lesson is clear, uh, I think, that where, for example, there is concentration, um, there's a danger of hindsight being applied and asset managers being found negligent following a downturn in the market. And there may be parallels with some things that are happening today, for example, um, Chinese property developers uh, and certain other sectors where uh, if if an asset manager did have concentration uh, or correlation risk, they may be subject to, to similar kinds of claims. Um, just finally to note, you, you may in those kinds of scenarios also see uh, disputes between uh, note holders who have different rights or, or, or different classes of rights, uh, depending upon which of them are hit by any any defaults in the portfolio. And that can lead to uh, further issues and litigation of a different nature um, between note holders as well as against the, the manager. Thanks very much, Doug. I think we'll draw a line there uh, as we're out of time. Um, Thank you very much for all of those insights. And um, thank you to anyone listening for having tuned into this episode. Please do look out for other episodes in this series in which we unpack some of the other key dispute risks facing asset management clients and how those risks can be addressed and mitigated. Thank you. 